I would ask you all then, please, to turn in your Bibles with me to our text this morning, which comes from the book of Jonah. As we continue our series in the book of Jonah, this morning we will be looking at chapter 1 and verses 7 to 16. So, Jonah chapter 1 and verses 7 to 16. Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 to 16. Then, if you would, please hear with me uh, the reading of God's inspired Word. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its ragings. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, last week our text ended in rebuke. That the prophet Jonah, who was supposed to go to that great uh, pagan and Gentile city of Nineveh in order to preach against their sin and rebelliousness against God, was now ironically the one who was being rebuked by Gentile and pagan sailors upon the the waters of this boat that is sailing out into the Mediterranean Sea for his own rebelliousness against God and for his own sin and trying to flee the presence of his Lord. What what a low point Jonah here has hit in our text. As the, the captain of the ship tells Jonah, call out to your God so that we might not perish. What is it that we see? Jonah can't even utter a word. Jonah remains silent. He speaks not one word. Jonah in this moment must have heard the echo of God's words upon the lips of the sea captain. And it must have caused his conscience to be seared. And what I mean by that is, what what does God say to Jonah in verse 2? He says to him, Arise. Right? Arise. Go to Nineveh. 
And now he's called out of his deep slumber at the bottom of this boat. And what is it that the sea captain says to Jonah? Arise. Arise. Call out to your God. So now Jonah at one moment is sleeping deeply as his conscience has been quieted by his sin as he thinks he escaped the presence of the Lord. And the very next moment, what does he do? He hears the haunting words of his Lord being proclaimed to him through the voice of this sailor. So that now Jonah is reminded of everything that he has just left behind. Jonah, though, in this great moment of rebellion, was so estranged from God because of his sin, that as all the other sailors are calling out to their gods, and they tell Jonah to call out to his, Jonah feels as if he has no one to call out to. Jonah feels as if he has no one to call out to. He knew that as long as he remained in his sin, God would not lend his ear to Jonah's prayer. Jonah was, knew, he was well aware that God does not listen to the petitions of the impenitent. Right? This is what God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, to the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. He says this, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. You see, so long as Jonah persisted in rebellion and sin, then what Jonah would have is no assurance, no comfort, no peace, but instead he would have spiritual unrest. He would have exhaustion and uncertainty. But brothers and sisters, this is what Jonah doing Jonah's will got Jonah. This is what it got him. So we see... Jonah lays his head down at the bottom of this boat, thinking all is well as we left off last week. Thinking that his plan was going perfectly according to how he had seen it. As every door we said opened that Jonah needed for his escape. But now what we see today is that Jonah will learn that there is no hiding from the presence of God. What Jonah will learn today is that you cannot resist the providence of God. What Jonah will learn today is that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth and in the sea and all the deeps. And so in our text today, Jonah, in recognition of this reality, he will abandon his plan. As he sees the the judgments of God encircling him. And Jonah then will rightly discern what his punishment ought to be. Which is why then he sacrifices himself for the sailors and says, cast me over into these judgment waters as he has now resigned himself to the reality that his life because of his sin will now be over. But we have to ask, how do we get to the point that Jonah is found out by the sailors? How do we get to the point that Jonah and the sailors have determined that throwing him into the sea is is the best or the only option? You know, how do we get to the point where Jonah, this rebellious prophet of God, turns back towards the will of God, rightly discerning what it is that God would have him do, which is to cast himself off into the sea. And so we want to look at these things together this morning. And we're going to do so in three points. And our three points are these. First, Jonah singled out. Jonah singled out. Point two, Jonah sentences himself. Jonah sentences himself. 
And third, the sailors execute God's judgment on Jonah. The sailors execute God's judgment on Jonah. And so point one, Jonah singled out. Now, in the panic and fear of what's going on, the sailors want to determine uh, why this great storm has been brought about. And so they say in verse 7, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Right? They know that behind the storm must be some great evil. There must have been some, some great evil that has caused God to bring this storm. And because Jonah refuses to, to, to speak up and to say, It is I, I am the reason that the storm has come. They have devised this plan now to, to cast lots, to, to see who it is that has caused this storm. Now the reason that they cast lots is because they believe that in the casting of lots, if it landed on someone, that person was divinely selected by God. And we see this throughout the Bible. This is something that, that the apostles believed. We see them use this in Acts chapter 1, verse 26, when they are trying to, to fill the, the, the spot of an apostle, uh, and they, they get down between Matthias and Barsabbas, what are we told they, they do? They cast lots, and they cast lots because they believe that it is God who, who chooses then who will be the next apostle. But not only is it the early church who cast lots, but even pagans cast lots. If you remember from the end of the book of Mark that we finished studying, as Jesus is hanging from the cross, what are we told the Roman soldiers do? Right? They, they cast lots to see who gets what piece of Jesus' own garments. And so they, they cast lots to see who it is that God has divinely selected. And so this is what the sailors are doing. As they, they cast lots. They want to see who is it that has angered the gods that has brought this storm. Now what ought to be striking to us though is that none of these sailors on the ship thought that their sin was the cause of this storm. All of the sailors thought that it was somebody else's sin. That is why they are casting lots because no one spoke up and said, it's me. They all thought it was someone else and so they decided to, to cast lots to determine who it was. And isn't this a, a great example to us of how even today people think about their sin and their own evil? Right? Many today, just like these sailors, think of their sin as, as a light matter, right? as a light issue. Right? Their, their sin is bad, but it's really not that bad. Right? Just like these sailors thought, it must have been a, a great evil that has caused this storm. Surely not our, our little evil that we do. That couldn't have brought the storm, could it have? And brothers and sisters, if we are honest with ourselves, even, even us as Christians are guilty of diminishing the seriousness of our own sin, aren't we not? But I think we especially see this in the ungodly. Right? Many of you perhaps have had uh, talks with people, maybe who grew up in Christian households or who profess Christ but, but don't practice any longer. And you, you ask them, you know, where do you think you're going to go when you die? And they oftentimes will say heaven. And you know, why is that? Well, not, you know, people aren't perfect. Right? Everyone makes mistakes, and so I think that God will forgive me. But what do they all have in common? All of those people refuse to condemn themselves. They refuse to condemn themselves because they think like most people that although, yes, I do some bad, as long as my good outweighs my bad, I will be safe with God. 
And brothers and sisters, we all at one time did this, did we not? Right? We all excused our own sin. And it wasn't until God grabbed hold of us and caused us to see the guilt of our sin that we, like Jonah, came to understand that the lot that was casted fell upon us. The lot that was casted, that fell upon Jonah, fell upon us. It is our evil, it is our sin, it is our wickedness that, that was deserving of death, that was deserving of, of ourselves to be cast off of the boat that day. And so instead of casting lots here to find out who the guilty party was, you know what should have happened? The sailors, along with Jonah, all should have stood up and raised their hands and said, it's my sin. Right? I'm the sinner who has, who has caused this storm to come to pass. But they don't do that, do they? No, we're told that they cast lots and that the lot fell on Jonah. And so we see here, Jonah now is, is singled out. It is the sin of Jonah that has the bright light shined upon it as these men now interrogate Jonah. They try to figure out who is this fellow that we have brought on our boat who has caused our ship to be cursed. And so they ask in verse 8, we're told, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Finally, Jonah, recognizing that he has been providentially outed by God, responds to them in verse 9 saying this, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Right here, Jonah confesses God to be his God, the God of heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, which is to say to these sailors that their gods are false gods, that they aren't real gods, that they don't exist, that they can hear them, which is why they did not answer them that day. You see, the pagans believed in a, a multiplicity of gods. They were polytheists. They believed in the God of the winds and the God of the seas and the God of the mountains. But here, Jonah boldly declares them all to be false as he proclaims his God, the God of the Israelites, to be the God of all things, both heaven and earth. And this caused the sailors to, to fear greatly. You see, we have to understand the inhabitants of these other lands these pagan lands, were not ignorant of the God of the Hebrews. They knew who the Israelites claimed their God to be. And so now, as they have come into contact, as they, as they see the power of the Hebrew God in the storms of the boat that is going to crush them all, we are told they are frightened. They are frightened. And they say to Jonah, what is this that you have done? What have you done after Jonah comes clean and tells them? that he has fled the presence of God. And even though Jonah musters up this courage to tell them that he is fleeing the presence of God and to tell them who God really is, what I want us to see here is that what Jonah has done has been, is that he's become a terrible witness before the world, before these sailors. Right? This is what Jonah has done by his actions leading up to all of this. He has become a, a terrible witness to these sailors and to the world. Right? They must have thought to themselves, if you love and fear and obey this God, right, why do you find it so hard to serve Him? Right? If, if He is truly the one true God of heaven and earth, why is it that you are fleeing from His presence? 
Right? This is something that these pagan sailors surely must have been thinking about. And I want us, brothers and sisters, to think about that every time that we flee the presence of God. Think about that every time that you run from God's Word and dive headfirst into the sin of this world. Right? The, the world is looking at you. Right? They see this. They are thinking this to themselves and they are saying, these people are hypocrites. Why would I ever serve a God that they serve when this God that they proclaim to love, who they say saved them from death and misery, they find so hard to serve themselves? Right? That is what the world says when they see you as Christians living like the world, sinning like the world. And how dare you How dare I, how dare Jonah bring such reproach upon the name of our Lord? After all the unimaginable graces that He has given not only to the Israelites, but now to His church. As He has called us to be His special privileged people. As He has given us His his living Word. As He has granted to us the promises of the Gospel. He has given us a living hope. He has given to us forgiveness in His Son Jesus Christ. He has caused us to behold in part His glory. All of these things. He gives to us not only physical benefits, but spiritual benefits. And still, brothers and sisters, can you sin against Him? And sin against Him so easily? This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He calls uh, the saints, Christians, He calls them God's chosen race. God's holy nation, God's royal priesthood. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, Then keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. But there is nothing honorable about what Jonah has been doing leading up to this point. And Jonah knows that, which is why he's trying to keep what he's been doing secret. But we need to see that what is done in the shadows will be brought to the light. Right? There is no sin that you will do in secret that God will not expose later. And this is what he's doing to Jonah here. He's exposing or revealing Jonah's sin to these sailors. And so the question becomes, what is going to be Jonah's response to this? What is Jonah to do? But what we'll see is that Jonah does what each and every one of us ought to do when confronted by our sin. And that leads us to our second point this morning, which is Jonah sentences himself. In verse 11, the sailors say to Jonah, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? During this time, we're told that the the sea continues to grow more violent or more tempestuous as time goes on. We're told then, Jonah replies in verse 12, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What I want you to see is that Jonah here realizes that he is the responsible party. Jonah realizes that it is on account of his sin that the lives of these men are now in danger. Jonah realizes that this is his punishment sent from God for his sin. And so what does Jonah do? He willingly accepts his punishment without complaint. Jonah willingly accepts his punishment without complaint. And what we are to see in this moment here 
is God working true repentance in his prophet Jonah. And how do we know that? Because Jonah takes all the blame on himself. Both for his own sin as well as for the storm and that punishment that God has sent his way. Jonah takes all the blame upon himself. Right? Jonah sees God is judging him. And so Jonah sentences himself with the only punishment he knows his sin deserves, which is death. Right? He knows he deserves death. And so now he obeys the will of God by asking the sailors to cast him into the sea. What I want you to see is Jonah doesn't say, Lord, is there another way? Jonah doesn't seek to, to strike a compromise with God here. He doesn't complain or cast uh, any accusations against God for this penalty being too harsh. And that's because Jonah knows that God cannot overlook sin. That sin must be dealt with and sin must be destroyed. And although Jonah had been living disobediently, although Jonah had been living shamefully and bringing reproach upon the name of his Lord, Jonah now, in our text here today, is resolved to do so no more. He will no longer bring reproach upon God's name by disobeying the will of God. And isn't it here, brothers and sisters, that this is the same place that each and every one of us who believe had to be brought to. We had to be brought to this place. A place where we stopped justifying ourselves. A place where we stopped excusing ourselves and we looked upon ourselves in the mirror and we said to ourselves, no, we are to blame. Right? The blame falls squarely upon our shoulders. We sinned. We can level no complaint against God for the penalty that we deserve, which is death. We, this is what all sinners are called to recognize and embrace. That your sin against the most holy God is deserving of death. That you cannot blame God for the place that you are in in this world and that God would be just to extinguish your life from you this very day. And yet, for the believer here today, there is a very important lesson that we need to learn from Jonah's response to this great affliction that he is suffering. Right? Because oftentimes, as believers, when we suffer affliction, when there is death in our family, uh, when there is suffering going on in our family, maybe a, a terrible illness, cancer, disease, virus, something of that sort. Maybe we are suffering some, from some great bodily affliction. Uh, perhaps just things seem to keep going bad for us in our life. What do we, even as Christians, tend to do? We, we tend to ask God, why? We tend to complain to God as if what He is doing to us is unfair. Right? We complain to our spouse, to our children to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers. But what I want us all to see is that when you complain about what God has allotted to you in this life, what you are doing is you are justifying yourself and even unintentionally condemning God. When you complain about what God has allotted you in this, in this life, you are justifying yourselves and even if unintentionally, you are condemning God. You are questioning His goodness and what He has granted to you. You are questioning His His wisdom and His perfection. Why would God be so unfair to me? But Jonah doesn't do that. And so we all need to sit up and take notice. Right here, Jonah doesn't level any complaint against God. 
He doesn't condemn God by questioning, why is God punishing me in this way? But rather here, Jonah condemns himself. Jonah condemns himself. He asks no questions because he knows that the God of heaven and earth always does what is right. And so in sentencing himself to death for his own crimes against God, what Jonah is doing here is he is justifying God. And he is justifying God's actions in bringing this punishment before the sailors that day. That is what Jonah is doing here. Jonah does not try in any way to reduce his penalty. And what is all the more exceedingly glorious about what Jonah does here is that Jonah knows ultimately this judgment and this punishment and this sentence is coming from God. And yet, what does Jonah do? Even knowing all of that, he entrusts himself to the God of heaven and earth through it all. Here, Jonah only wants to do that which is good and that which is pleasing in the sight of God, even if that means Jonah's death. Did you hear that? Jonah only wants to do what is good and pleasing in the sight of God, even if that spells his own demise. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we had minds like that, if we thought like that, that in the midst of our trials, we didn't just think about ourselves or seek to justify ourselves or seek to run away from what is occurring, but rather if all we thought about was bringing glory to God through our suffering. Think about the impact that that would have on the unbelieving world. Think about the impact it would have on your unbelieving family and friends and co-workers and neighbors. To suffer evil and to not complain like the world does. But rather to suffer under the just judgment of God and to be content with it. And to only look up to the heavens and say, God, I know this is your just judgment. I am content with it. I only ask, Lord, that you would grant to me the grace and the strength and the courage to suffer through it all faithfully for you and for your name. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we had the mind like that. One final point I want us to see under this second heading is that Jonah believes that in sentencing himself to death, that he is satisfying the wrath of God. Right? So what we see here is Jonah offering up himself in the place of the other sailors so that they would not die. Right? Throw me over so that you might live and I will die. And so what we need to see here is that in this moment, Jonah is a type of Christ. Jonah is a type of Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? Dr. Joel Beakey says this of a type. A type is a historical person, event, or institution designed by God to foreshadow Christ and His kingdom in a way that is imperfect yet illuminating. That is to say, in retrospect, in light of Christ, in light of His revelation, the full revelation that we now have, what we see is a correspondence between two things and a heightening of a character, an event, or an institution of the Old Testament with Christ of the New Covenant. Jonah, in this event, is being moved providentially by God to point forward to the greater Jonah who was to come. 
Jonah here is being used by God providentially to point toward the greater Jonah who is to do abundantly more than Jonah has done. But whom Jonah in his actions prefigures. Jonah offers himself up as a sacrifice for sin, which does what? It points them to the coming of Christ, who was to offer himself up, not for his own sin, but for the sin of all who would believe. And Jonah is being cast into the sea and sentenced to death to appease the wrath of God. It points forward to the coming of Christ, who was to be sentenced to death in order to pacify the wrath of God for the sake of all who would believe. What Jonah's death, though, couldn't affect, the removal of the sin of these sailors, Christ's death will affect, as He will bring bring about the forgiveness of sin for past sin, present sin, future sin, for all who will believe in His name. But we see here, brothers and sisters, how even in the 8th century B.C., God is preparing the people for the coming of Christ. Here He's proclaiming Christ through the prophet Jonah. But this is what we ought to expect, isn't it? As Christ is the focus, Christ is the center of all of human history and all of the Scriptures. From Genesis 3.15 to the end of Revelation, it is all about Christ. It is Christ, Christ, Christ. God establishes a people, the Israelites, for what purpose? To bring forth Christ. When Christ comes, He suffers and dies and is ascended on high. For His people, in order that what? That whoever believes in Christ would not die and be saved. Right now, redemption is being applied as Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And one day, Christ will come again to gather all those to Himself. It is all about Christ, brothers and sisters. We need to see Jonah is not some moralistic story. You might might hear people sometimes preach the Old Testament. You know, don't be a... or or be a Daniel. or, Or be a David. Maybe if someone was preaching from Jonah today, they'd say, don't be a Jonah. But that's not what these texts are for. They're not moralistic stories. Right? They're not fictional tales. But rather, they are given to us to present to us the glory of Christ and the wisdom of God in our salvation. This story is, is given to us to present to us the glory of Christ and the wisdom of God in the salvation of all who would ever come to faith in Him. That is what Jonah is about. This leads us then to our third and our final point this morning, which is the sailors execute God's judgment on Jonah. The sailors execute God's judgment on Jonah. Please we'll look with me at verse 13 and we're going to read to the end. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, They called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Here, brothers and sisters, we see the sailors are truly compassionate to Jonah, are they not? They're trying to to row to shore because they don't want to have to throw Jonah into the sea. But what do we see they do? It's it's like rowing against the current. They're just not moving. If you've ever gotten stuck in the mud and you've you know put your foot down on the gas pedal, what do you do? The tires just spin and spin and spin. And you get actually deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole. Right? What what God makes crooked, man cannot make straight. Right? God says no. 
So they weren't able to do it. Right? They tried to row, but all we've seen is, is, is as they rowed harder, the, the, the winds and the seas just grew stronger so that God squashed their endeavors. He made them fail in that endeavor. And so what do we see the, the sailors do then? We're told the sailors call out. But who do they call out to? They're not calling out to their pagan deities that they had called out to earlier. But rather now, they call out to Yahweh. They use the covenant-keeping name of the Lord as they call out to God this time. And what do they say? They plead to Him in the midst of their dilemma. And what's their dilemma? They don't want to die themselves, but neither do they want to become murderers by throwing Jonah over the side of the boat. And so they cry out in order that they might come to know what God wants them to do. And it becomes abundantly clear to them through prayer that it's God's will that they throw Jonah out. And so this is what they do. They know that peace will only be restored once they do that. And so we're told in verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. I want us to see that as they threw Jonah overboard, these men did not become murderers. Rather, these men were simply executing the the judgment of God against Jonah. They were executing that sentence that, that Jonah has been sentenced with, which was death, and God used the sailors as his executioners. He used them to, to throw them over. And at this moment, they, I, I think they clearly understood what the prophet Ezekiel says in chapter 18, verse 4. The, the soul that sins shall surely die. Right? They, have, they have come to, to really understand that in this moment. But what they also understand is that when the quiet of the storm happens as sin is being dealt with, what they come to realize is that also when we turn away from our sin, and we turn back to God, God will likewise quiet His anger towards us. He will quiet His anger towards us. But for the unbeliever, they must know this, that, that the anger of the Lord rages against them daily. Right? That the, that the storms of His wrath brew against the ungodly. But the same is true for them that is true for us, that if you recognize your sinfulness, if you turn to God in faith, if you profess trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, your Lord, then His anger will subside for you and He will cover you with His love. And the peace that the sailors realize in the peace of the sea is the same peace that you will receive if you believe in Christ Jesus yourself. This is why we're told in verse 16 that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Here we see what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is, is so true, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. By fear, though, we mean not servile fear. Right? Not, not fear of, of hell and damnation, but rather a fear of devotion. Right? A, 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 an affection and a love for God, which produces what? Religious worship, like we are doing here today. And this is what we see from the men in our text. This is how they respond. It would have been easy for these sailors as soon as that peace, the peace of the storm began after Jonah's tossed to the side. It would have been so easy for these sailors to go back to their former life. It would have been so easy for these sailors to go back to their pagan deities, but they don't, which demonstrates for us true faith and repentance. That is what it shows us. For the ungodly, the impenitent do just the opposite, don't they? You know, I think about one of the great storms that our nation has, has dealt with. I think of 9-11. And at that time, when that happened, 
What, what did you see occurring in our society? Right? We, were, we were one nation under God. Right? People were, were praying. We were united. People were going to, to church. But, but what happened? Right? After the memory of that started to, to subside, people went back to their godless living. Right? Do, do you see, brothers and sisters, that storms, storms in your life oftentimes bring you to God? But it's those who remain when everything is going good, when no one is around you looking, when the storms have passed that demonstrate themselves to be true children of the living God. This is what the sailors demonstrate today in their sacrifice to God, to God in their vowing of vows. They did this when there was peace. There was no more storm. There was, there was no more trouble in their life. But yet they offer sacrifice. And they vow vows to God. Right? In our text today, what we need to see is that God was not just dealing with Jonah's sin, but He was dealing with the sin of these sailors as well. And so as we draw to a close this morning, the question is, has God dealt with your sin? Has God dealt with your sin? Because Jonah's death sentence is your death sentence as well. You are a sinner deserving of death and condemnation. Apart from Jesus Christ the Lord. And so have you learned to now fear the Lord your God? Have you turned from your evil and wicked ways? And have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Do you now sacrifice your, yourselves as, as a living sacrifice to God? Have you made vows to God to trust and to obey and to walk in all His ways? If not, I call upon you today to look to the greater Jonah who is Christ, who was able to do far more abundantly what Jonah was able to do. And you are promised that, that when you do, you will not receive what you deserve, which is death and condemnation, but rather you will receive those promises that Christ has purchased for you in the Gospel for all who believe. And that is forgiveness of sin. That is the righteousness of Christ. That is eternal life. And that is peace with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Your Word this morning. We are thankful, Father, for the reminder of our own sinfulness as we need to, to remember uh, that, Father, we are not a good people. But we are a sinful people. That is why we need Christ, because Christ came for the guilty, not the righteous. Father, open up our hearts and to, to, to see this and to remember this and to reflect upon this. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would cause us this day uh, to grow in our faith and to cause us to grow in our understanding through the reading of the Word, that You would cause us to to look to the to the greater one, uh, the one greater than Jonah, that is uh, Christ Jesus, that we would look to Him as our Savior, that we would look to Him as our our refuge and the rock of our salvation. So, Father, we come before You this morning and we ask all these things in Christ's name. We pray, Amen.